So yeah, so we're going to get started. Go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to um, to Hebrews chapter seven. Going to be talking tonight about how uh, Christ is our High Priest, and so uh, the writer of Hebrews has already addressed this and mentioned it several times. Uh, here in chapter seven, he's going to the writer uh, of Hebrews is going to address Christ as being a priest after um, or like Melchizedek. And so you may not remember Melchizedek, so let me just kind of refresh your, your, your memories if you can't right off hand. We first kind of come into contact with Melchizedek um, in our study in Genesis. We're going to be getting close uh, in the uh, journey of faith as we look at the life of Abraham. Uh, Abraham goes off to, to fight against uh, two kings. Um, Lot has been taken, uh, his nephew, and so he goes to rescue Lot, his family. Um, he defeats the kings, regain, gets Lot back, um, and they're coming back to where uh, Abraham, um, around the Bethel area where Abraham has been in the Negev desert. And as they're coming back, they get to around Salem. Now, Salem in the Old Testament, especially Genesis, Exodus, the, the Pentateuch, and uh, until we get to like King David, um, Jerusalem was, was just called Salem. Uh, so when Abraham is making his journeys as the patriarch um, of, the, of our faith, uh, he's traveling and he comes near the city of Salem. And when he does, he runs into Melchizedek. Um, and what was different about Melchizedek is that he's called both uh, the um, prophet, um, priest, and the king of Salem. So especially this notion of him being the king and being the priest um, that's something that the Israelites did not do. Um, and so Melchizedek is not from um, the Levite tribe. And so he's from a separate uh, line. This is going to be the same as looking at Jesus. Jesus comes from the line of Judah. Um, and priests did not come from the line of Judah. Uh, but, but Jesus did. And Jesus is our high priest now. And so uh, Melchizedek, in the same way that that Christ uh, is not from the line of Levi, and not a Levite. Um, Christ was, was from Judah, in the same way Melchizedek was not a Levite, um, and yet he was the king and the priest of Salem. And so that's, for me, that's just some interesting backdrop and some background so that we can kind of understand the context. Uh, what happens uh, is when uh, Abraham runs into him, they've just defeated the enemy, and Abraham pays a tithe. This is, uh, to my knowledge, I think this is the first time we, we really see the tithe being paid in the Old Testament. And Abraham gives a tribute or a tithe to Melchizedek. Uh, in the same way, I think Hebrews chapter 7, I think is one of the strongest uh, bases to, to ground tithing on in the New Testament. Um, just as Abraham tithed to the high priest Melchizedek, so we, Christians, tied to the high priest, Jesus. Um, and so I think you'll see some of this brought out in Hebrews chapter 7. So it may seem like I'm kind of talking about a lot of what we're going to read, and I am, but I kind of want to give you that background information so that as we read the text, um, that you'll have that understanding already, and the text will just seem very clear to us. Um, so if you have your copy of God's Word, let's go ahead and let's dig into Hebrews chapter 7. Um, and I'll make comments just as we work our way through the passage. And if we don't get all the way through the passage tonight, um, that's okay as well. 
So chapter 7 in the book of Hebrews begins, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God Most High, met Abraham and blessed him as he returned from defeating the kings. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Uh, first, his name means king of righteousness. And so if I say to you, as New Testament believers, if I were to mention, what does king of righteousness, who does that remind you of? I, I think immediately our minds go to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, Melchizedek literally means um, king of righteousness. Um, then also, king of Salem, meaning king of peace. That's what, of course, um, Salem means. Uh, and so he was king of Salem or king of peace. And so when we look at these two words together, he is the king of righteousness and he is the king of peace. Then we see how Jesus Christ um, comes from the same line. Uh, not not uh, from a genealogy point of view. Uh, but both Christ and Melchizedek are priests and kings. Um, when you think of the titles given to Melchizedek, king of righteousness, king of peace, then we see those same two connotations given to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's king of righteousness and he's the king of peace. Uh, we just continue here um, in verse 3. Without father, mother, or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. So we kind of have to at least address this issue of Melchizedek not having a, a father or mother, um, Melchizedek not having a beginning or an end. And so that, that raises some interesting questions um, uh, doctrinally, uh, theologically. Um, and so many people will say that in the Old Testament, um, that Melchizedek is a Christophany. That, that means it is an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament uh, before he comes in, in physical form in the New Testament. And so um, that, that's a possibility. It's, it's not where I plant my feet, but it is, it, it is a possibility that Christ reveals himself as the king of righteousness and the king of peace and that Abraham uh, pays a tithe to him. And so that, that's a pretty big deal that Abraham pays a tithe um, to, to the priest and king of Salem. Um, so that's one possibility. It is possible that, that, that Christ came down and took on the form of Melchizedek. This would be before the incarnation, so um, being spirit, there's nothing uh, theologically that would, um, would stop that from being the case. Others believe that Melchizedek is more of a prototype of Jesus. So we look at Melchizedek, and, and, and he is uh, the closest thing maybe in human form is the way I would say that, as to what Christ is going to be. Now, of course, the he writer Hebrews is, is talking about the supremacy of Christ, and what he's saying is that Christ is greater than, in this particular case, Christ is greater than Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was a priest and a king, um, without a, a known beginning or a known end. Um, and so if he's a prototype where he, he's a human, that when we look at his life, it represents the reality of Christ and what Christ is going to, to be like. Um, again, I, I don't have a problem with that. Of course, if he's just a prototype, um, then it, it's more metaphorically that he doesn't have a beginning, he doesn't have an end, doesn't have a mother, doesn't have a father in the sense that his kingdom and his reign would be forever. 
And that would point us in the Old Testament to the Christ of the New Testament uh, who will be without end in his reign, um, without beginning or end. He is eternal. Uh, and so it, it could be a prototype where uh, we look at Melchizedek in the Old Testament and we see that even back when Abraham is paying tribute to Melchizedek, that in, in actuality it's a picture of Abraham paying tribute to Christ. Um, and so what Abraham did was he, he paid a tithe to the priest and the king. Um, and we see in Hebrews, he, he really kind of points that out, the writer of Hebrews does, um, that, that Abraham paid a tribute to him because you only tithe someone who is greater than you are. And so Abraham saw something in Melchizedek um, that pointed him to the need to pay a tribute, a tithe, 10% to Melchizedek in the same way that we come into worship uh, um, when we don't have the virus going around and we're able to come into the house of God together and we willingly give based on the uh, the um, the model and the commands of, of scripture because Christ is so much greater than us and given us so much more than we ever deserved or could ask for or even dream about and so we like Abraham pay tribute uh, we make a tithe sometimes even a tithe and an offering to Jesus Christ and this is a pretty good basis for that uh, it's not the only but it, it's a pretty good basis if you're looking at the idea of paying a tithe to Christ uh, the the way that Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek and so we see a lot of similarities between Melchizedek and Jesus but I think if we want to prevent from getting too sidetracked because there's a lot of different um, thoughts out there about Melchizedek and who, who is Melchizedek. Um, and there, there's some different thoughts. One, he's a prototype. Two, it, it is a Christophany. Uh, three, just could be a messenger from God. Um, so there's several options out there. Uh, whatever we choose, one thing that is very clear in the writer of Hebrews is that the writer of Hebrews is saying Melchizedek was um, of a different type, the same way that Christ is a different type of priest. And in fact, Christ is our high priest because he made sacrifice for us. He offered the sacrifice. At the same time, the sacrifice was himself. And so he is our priest because he sacrificed himself for us. Um, and of his rule and his reign, there will be no beginning or end. It's eternal. Um, so the first three verses, I think, have a pretty good bit that's packed into there. Uh, and I would just you know, have you say, if, if you want to know more about Melchizedek and what the writer of Hebrews is really saying, then you, know, you probably need to go back um, to, to Genesis, um, I think it's chapter 14, Genesis 14, um, and you will see this incident that takes place between Abraham and Melchizedek. Uh, but it's awfully important, it must be, because the writer of Hebrews is bringing in that, that passage of Scripture from way back in Genesis 14 when he's talking about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And now he's our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Imagine that. So we have this incident that takes place way back in Genesis 14 where Abraham recognizes that this priest and king of Salem which later is Jerusalem. Um, so, so literally Melchizedek is the forerunner uh, of being the king and the priest of Jerusalem. Um, this has significance to us because we see that's where 
the throne of Christ uh, will be, will be established. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would encourage you to go back, read Genesis 14, um, and take a look at the, this one event and passage of Scripture that talks about Melchizedek. And then think about now we're all the way into the New Testament after the life of the Lord Jesus Christ has been uh, taken and then given back. And he is the only one, the first fruit of the resurrection because he rose from the dead physically to never die again. So Lazarus rose from the dead, uh, but Lazarus physically died a second time. Jesus did not die after the resurrection. So he's the first fruits of the, the resurrection of life. Um, and so I encourage you to go back to Genesis 14, read, because the writer of Hebrews is emphasizing this, this passage of Scripture. And so it's awfully important if the writer of Hebrews is going to dedicate a chapter in the book of Hebrews concerning probably, um, I don't know, 10 verses, 7 verses in, in Genesis 14, uh, where Abraham comes into contact with Melchizedek. So I just encourage you to go check it out in Genesis 14. Just so you get the context, because literally, that's what Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, is identifying this one event that took place way back then. Uh, verse 4, now consider how great this man was. Okay, so Mel Melchizedek, one, he's identified as a man. And so that leads me to believe more along the lines that Melchizedek is a prototype of Christ, not a Christophany, where Christ actually appeared. In the Old Testament. So I, it, it appears to me uh, just from kind of a cursory reading uh, of this and the description of Melchizedek. that Melchizedek was more of a prototype. And so the description given to Melchizedek is more about who Christ is going to be um, than it is about who Melchizedek is. And so we read in, in Genesis 14 and the description that the writer is applying to Melchizedek is actually going to point us later on, right, um, uh, a couple centuries later, uh, to Jesus Christ. And we will be able to say, man, Melchizedek, the, the king of righteousness, Jesus Christ, the king of righteousness. Melchizedek was the, the king of peace, right? Jesus is the prince of peace. Um, and so, um, yeah, interesting. So, so it does appear that Melchizedek is more of a prototype of Christ um, than maybe... Uh, an actual uh, occurrence where Christ came and, and appeared to Abraham as Melchizedek. So he's an important man, was a great man. Um, continuing verse 4, even Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the plunder to him. Um, and so here's the idea. Melchizedek was a great man, so great that Abraham knew the right thing to do was to pay a tenth of what he had gained. In the same way, we come into the church today, we recognize who we are before God. We've already had later the law of God establish the tithe. Uh, but the tithe was, was demonstrated and given in Genesis 14, which is a long time before the law is given to Moses. So the tithe was being practiced before even the law, before the Ten Commandments, before um, the hundreds of laws we find in, in the Pentateuch. Abraham's tithe to Melchizedek was before any kind of law was given with respect to that. And so we in the New Testament church today see that this has been practiced from, from Abraham, uh, the giving of a tithe to the priest and the king who is worthy and glorious. And Jesus Christ is that king. He is the 
king of righteousness, the king of peace. He's worthy of all we have. And so we bring before and lay at his feet a tithe that belongs to him. It's his. And then when we, when we can, we feel like God's laying on our hearts. We bring an offering um, to demonstrate, to go above and beyond, to demonstrate how unworthy we are with respect to our high priest, our priest and king. Because if Melchizedek deserved a tithe from Abraham, then the simple question would be, what does Christ deserve from us? In fact, um, a, you know, Melchizedek blessed Abraham, kind of uh, gave a prayer of blessing, so to speak, in Genesis 14. But Christ came and gave his life for us, laid his life down, took it back up again. And so how much more worthy is he than Melchizedek? And that's what, beginning in chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews is trying to get across to us is as great as Melchizedek may have been, and he, he was according to every description in Scripture, Jesus Christ is far superior to Melchizedek. And so our reaction to and actions toward the Lord Jesus Christ ought to reflect that same uh, knowledge of Abraham sees Melchizedek and pays tribute and homage and honor to him. We have now the benefit of Christ dying for our sins, resurrected so that we might have eternal life, then how much more do we owe to him than Abraham did to Melchizedek? That seems to be uh, one of the lines of thought in the book of Hebrews at this particular uh, passage. So um, consider how great this man was is in verse 4. Even Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the plunder to him. Verse 5. The sons of Levi who received the priestly office have a command according to the law to collect a tenth from its people. Now, th this is beginning to set up, again, one of the clear-cut teachings of the New Testament of why we should be responsible to giving our tithe. So, uh, what, what the writer of Hebrews knows is there may be an objection to this because the law states that the Levites are responsible to collect a tenth or a tithe from the people. But remember that Jesus Christ is not from the tribe of Levi. He's not a Levite. He's from the tribe of Judah. And so what the writer of Hebrews is doing is actually acknowledging something. Where, where the Levites, through the law, uh, collected a tithe, just like Melchizedek, who was not from the line of Levi, was from a different tribe altogether, just as he was worthy of a tenth. So Jesus, who comes from the tribe of Judah, who laid his life down for us as our high priest, is worthy of our tithes and offerings. And so this isn't some far-fetched attempt to make a passage fit into a narrative about why we should give. This is part of the intent of the writer in Hebrews chapter 7 is to say if Melchizedek deserved an offering or, or a tithe, then how much more does Jesus Christ offer? And, and in this last few verses, what the writer's done is taken away the argument, well, hold on, Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. And so the law says that the Levites, those from the tribe of Levi, were to collect a tenth. It doesn't say that those from the tribe of Judah should. And so what the writer of Hebrews does is takes us all the way back to Genesis 14 and says, look at the very first tithe. Look at the first tithe Abraham gave to the priest and king of Salem, which was later going to be called Jerusalem, um, and he was not a Levite. And so it's a pretty good argument that the writer of Hebrews is making here. And so I pray that that, I hope that makes sense. I know that 
Um, it, it's difficult sometimes because we're not face to face and I'm not able to really see you guys. Um, and so, listen, if there's anything that, that I've been talking about that you have a question about, please um, throw it into the comment section and I'm looking and I'll do uh, my very uh, best to answer the question. Uh, so, again, tithes is, is it's an amount, it's 10%. Um, and, and again, Genesis 14, when, when Abraham comes to, to Melchizedek, or Melchizedek and Abraham meet, um, Abraham recognizes he's the priest and the king, and he gives him 10% of all the spoils of war that he has with him at the time. Um, and in the same way, the writer of Hebrews is alluding to us, if, if this is what Abraham did to, uh, toward Melchizedek, then how much more do we owe um, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? All right, so verse 5, uh, it says, uh, Again, Levi, um, who received, the sons of Levi who received the priestly office have a command according to the law to collect a tenth from the people. That's a tithe from the people. Um, that is from their brothers and sisters, although they have also descended from Abraham. But one without this lineage collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. Without a doubt, the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, men who will die receive a tenth. But in the other case, Scripture testifies that he lives. And in a sense, Levi himself, who receives a tenth, has paid a tenth through Abraham, for he was still within his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. All right, so let's just uh, take one second, because everything I've been talking about in relation to the tithe is exactly what, what I just read from you. So again, what they're saying is, there may be those who would argue um, that the, the, the law in the Old Testament stated that it was the Levites who collected um, a tenth, a, a, a tithe. Why did they need it? Because their work was the work of the church. And so if you think about that, um, so uh, it's, it's not necessarily the, the priest and the priestly duties, but the taking care of the temple of God. And so the Levites took care of all the temple things and all the sacred things like the Ark of the Covenant and, uh, and uh, the, um, just all the furnishings in the temple. But I'll leave it there. And because their work was all done in the house of God and for the house of God, they were unable to earn an income outside of the temple. And so what God did is took those that had been called out to serve God at the temple. They, they received a tenth from the brothers and sisters from all the other descendants um, of the 12 tribes of, of, the, of Jews, the Jewish faith. And that tenth was to take care of them so they could take care of the temple. Um, what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, well, hold on a second. The tithe was given to Melchizedek before Levi is even born, right? So here we have Abraham in Genesis 14 paying a tithe to Melchizedek. Again, the Bible identifies him as the priest and the king of Salem. Uh, his name means king of righteousness. His uh, king of Salem means king of peace. Both of those directly correlate to the prince of peace. Um, and Jesus Christ being our righteousness, the king of righteousness, the king of peace. And so what the writer is saying is, listen, the tithe was established before the law of Moses. 
Abraham gave the tithe. And then what Melchizedek did was he blessed Abraham. Um, and, and it just says the one who's greater blesses the one uh, who is inferior. And, and so, uh, so Abraham is the inferior one in, in this part, according to the writer of Hebrews. So the inferior pays a tithe to the superior, and then the superior gives his blessing. Um, and so Melchizedek just kind of gives the prayer blessing, you know, that God would be with Abraham and his descendants. Um, in the same way, when we come into God's house today, we are inferior to Christ. And Christ is worthy of all honor and glory that we can ascribe to him. And so just like Abraham gave a tenth, then we are to give a tenth. That tenth is a set amount, right? So tithe literally means a tenth. And so we give 10%. Why? Because Abraham established this. It's in God's word, inspired by God's word. And then the writer of Hebrews reminds us that just like Melchizedek was superior um, to Abraham, and Abraham gave him a tenth that we see the superiority and the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we give 10% or the tithe. Uh, and what the writer goes on to say is, Melchizedek was not from the line of Levite. Jesus was not from the line of Levite. Melchizedek, king of peace and righteousness. Jesus, king of peace and righteousness. If Melchizedek deserved, like his lineage is, uh, doesn't end, uh, according to what Genesis says about Melchizedek and then the writer of Hebrews. And, and so in the way that Melchizedek was to receive the tithe of Abraham, in the same sense the church is to give the tithe to Jesus, our high priest, from a different lineage than Levi, but one whose rule will be eternal, uh, in the same way that Genesis describes the rule of Melchizedek. So I hope that I hope that kind of clears up a little bit. I, I, that's, this chapter is not only about tithing, but I think uh, it, it would be, we'd be remiss if we didn't at least address the fact that the writer of Hebrews is making this argument for why we are to pay a tithe to the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and that that goes back to Abraham giving the tithe to Melchizedek, and Melchizedek being kind of a prototype of Jesus Christ. Uh, a forerunner of Jesus Christ, one who is like Christ. Even though he's not Christ and he's not God, he points us to Christ and what we're going to find about Christ in the, uh, in the New Testament. Um, yeah, just trying to see uh, where I've left off. Um, I, I'm just going to start in verse 8. So, um, well, verse 7. Uh, Without a doubt, the inferior is blessed by the superior. In one case, men who will die receives a tenth. But in the other case, Scripture testifies that he lives. And in, in a sense, Levi himself, who receives a tenth, has paid a tenth through Abraham, for he was still within his ancestry when Melchizedek met him. All that's saying is this. When Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek, later Levi comes through the line of Abraham and so in a sense, because Abraham is the patriarch, uh, right, the great, great, great grandfather, uh, I believe, of, uh, of Levi, when Abraham paid a tenth, so did his descendants pay a tenth. And so even Levi himself, through his descendant Abraham, gave a tenth to Melchizedek. 
Um, and what that does is it shows us that um, so every tribe in respect gave a tithe to Melchizedek in the sense that all of us today are to continue that only not to Melchizedek, but to the realization of Melchizedek, Jesus Christ. Now he talks a little bit about the priesthood. Um, and so I just want to make sure because um, um, let you understand that the, the text itself uh, informs us about why we pay tithes. And I think that's important. So I don't want you to think that this tonight was just about tithes because I'm going to continue on and it's not going to be. But I think when Scripture teaches us and, um, and gives us clear-cut instructions and an explanation of why we pay tithes, um, that we need to at least address that. And so that, that's all I was trying to do. Um, okay. So, verse 10, for he was still within his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. And then uh, we move to um, uh, a section that's going to talk about the superior priesthood. Verse 11 says, Now, if perfection came through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis um, of the people received uh, it, the people received the law. So, it's talking about how was someone saved through the law and the the Levitical priesthood. the people received the law. Uh, what further needed, need was there for another priest to appear? Uh, said to be according to the order of Melchizedek and not according to the order of Aaron. All right, so let's just make sure you understand this. So if Melchizedek is described in the Old Testament as not having an end, uh, Jesus is described as a priest like Melchizedek, only greater. And if he's not going to have an end, so if he's our high priest, he made, our, made sacrifice for us so that our sins could be forgiven for eternity, then you can't replace him as priest because he doesn't have an end. And so Jesus Christ is our eternal priest. So we don't need uh, the priesthood because we have a high priest who made a sacrifice that was good for all time, and he doesn't have an end in his rule. So we don't need the Levitical high priest anymore. We have a high priest. His name's Jesus Christ. Um, and so, uh, so even though he's not after the order of Aaron, that's, that's where the high priest would have come from in the priestly race. And so verse 12, let's just uh, continue. Uh, for when there's a change of the priesthood, there must be a change of law as well. Uh, for one, these things are spoken about um, belong to a different tribe. No one from it served at the altar. Now it is evident that our Lord came from Judah. And Moses said nothing about the tribe concerning priests. And so the writer again is just continuing to show us that Melchizedek was not from the line of Aaron. He was not a Levite who collected tithes. But so, so if Jesus is like Melchizedek, then he will not be from the high priest lineage of Aaron. And he will not be uh, from the tribe of Levi because Melchizedek was neither from the tribe of Levi nor from Aaron. And so those who come out of the priesthood from the line of Aaron have a beginning and an end. Uh, They serve and they die. Uh, Melchizedek did not, according to Scripture, as a prototype to what Jesus is going to be like, did not die. According to Scripture, he didn't have a beginning, he didn't have an end. He wasn't from the tribe of Aaron. He wasn't from the tribe of Levi. Jesus fits all these same descriptions. So Melchizedek's pointing forward for us to see Christ as he is 
So he's the king of righteousness, king of peace. He is our high priest. Uh, he reigns forever. And so there's no longer any need for a Levitical priesthood because we have a high priest who will be on the throne forever. Uh, not just as priest, but as king. And so I, I pray that, um, that in some of the minutia of all this writing that we not miss the point. Uh, here's the point. Jesus Christ is supreme to Melchizedek. And Melchizedek as a priest is superior to any of Aaron's descendants. Uh, Melchizedek's uh, reign as a prophet or a priest and a king did not have a beginning or end. That's the same as Jesus Christ. And so Melchizedek pointing us to Christ, who's going to be far more superior than any man who served as, as priest or high priest or any man who served from the line of Levi, um, and so the tenth belongs to Christ, um, but also understanding that, um, that he is our high priest and there, there's no need for a lineage of high priest any longer. Uh, verse 11, um, I think we, we've read, I'm sorry, 13. Um, verse 14, just kind of pick up with me there. Um, no one from it has served at the altar. This is Jesus who's from the tribe of Judah. None of his ancestors served um, in, that, in that capacity as priest. Um, it's evident our Lord came from Judah. Moses said nothing about the tribe concerning priests. And this becomes clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, who did not become a priest based on a legal regulation about physical descent, but based on the power of an indestructible life, for it has been testified, this is what's been said about Melchizedek, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So this is a reference of Melchizedek talking about Jesus. So Jesus, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Uh, verse 18, uh, so the previous command is annulled because it was weak and unprofitable. So the command for Aaron's descendant to be a priest and for the Levites to collect the tithe. Now, Jesus is our high priest. He's, he's the perfect sacrifice. Jesus is the, the new line of the Levites where the tenth, the tithe, is paid unto him. And so there's actually two comparisons going on here. There's the comparison of Jesus to Melchizedek. And then there's a comparison of both of those two to the tribe of Levi and to Aaron's descendants who become the priest and those who looked after the temple. And both Melchizedek and Jesus um, did not come from those lines. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying this, this doesn't show something missing or an inadequacy. It actually shows the supremacy uh, and how much greater Christ is uh, because his reign is based on an eternal life as the God-man who be, took on uh, flesh, became the word and dwelt among us, uh, and uh, whose kingdom will last forever. And so he's much more superior. Um, so that's, that's what 18 say. And so the previous command is annulled because it's weak and unprofitable. So the law given about a tenth to the Levites and Aaron's descendants, that law has been abolished through the work of Christ. Because of this um, oath, well, let me, um, I guess, uh, verse 19. 
Uh, for the law perfected nothing, but a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Uh, none of this happened without an oath, for others became priests without an oath. But he became a priest with an oath made by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. So God has declared that Jesus Christ is the eternal priest. Because of this oath, Jesus has also become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now many have become Levitical priests since they are um, prevented by death from remaining in office. But because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. And so that, that's simple. If you're a Levitical priest and you die, you stop being a priest. In Jesus' case, he's uh, from the tribe of Judah, but he's been declared a priest by God his Father, and he's never going to die. And so his reign will be forever. Um, verse 23 is what we just read. Um, verse 25. Uh, Therefore he's able to save completely those who come to God through him. Since he always lives to intercede for them. And so one of the offices and um, uh, responsibilities of the priest. Is to communicate to God on behalf of the people. And so as our high priest he intercedes between man and God. And so when we are wanting to go to God in prayer, then we go to God in prayer through our high priest, Jesus Christ, who intercedes on our behalf. So just to let you know, so when you're praying, uh, you, you, you want to talk to God. That's the notion. God the Father, you're, you're wanting to, um, to communicate with him. But you communicate with the Father through the Son. It's why we pray in, in Jesus' name. It's why we, we, we make this um, declaration very clear that we understand that our access to the Father is through the Son, Jesus. And then, of course, in the act of prayer, the Holy Spirit is actively praying for us about things we don't even know we need yet. Um, and so that, that's all the passage is saying. Um, uh, verse um, 26, I believe. The, yeah, 26. Uh, for this is uh, the kind of high priest we need. So this is a description of Jesus as our high priest. He's holy, he's innocent, he's undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do. First, for their own sins, then for those of the people. So think about this. The, the Levitical, um, the, the tribe of Levi, and then the priest from Aaron's line, would have to first make a, a sacrifice for them because they're sinful. And then after they made sacrifices um, to cleanse their sins, then they had to make more sacrifices, further sacrifices, um, to cleanse the people. Jesus doesn't need to do that. Uh, he offered the perfect sacrifice himself once for all. And so that's the last sacrifice that needs to be made. And so Jesus made that. And then the fact that Jesus is eternal... Uh, means we no longer need high priest. He is the one, only, last, uh, eternal high priest. Uh, we see the characteristics or attributes of Christ, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted by the heavens. And so he doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day. Uh, verse 28, uh, we kind of get bring it to the end. For the law appoints as high priest men who were weak. 
And so these men were sinful men. That's all that passage means. But then it continues and says, but the promise of the oath, this is God's oath. This is God saying what he said about Christ uh, when he said you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek or uh, the Lord is sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. And so Christ actually becomes high priest, not only because he made sacrifice, but because God made an oath and declared him to be um, a high priest. You say, well, I don't really see an oath there. Uh, well, when, when the Lord speaks because he can't lie, then he speaks with an oath to himself. And so everything God speaks is truth. And I don't want to get into that too much, but just know that if you're wondering why it, it talks about one being a priest after genealogy, like coming from the, the line of Aaron, uh, Levites coming from the tribe of Levi, uh, Jesus is the high priest based on an oath. And the oath is God declared it. And when God declares something, it's based on who he is. And so he himself is the oath because he's truth. Um, so uh, again, 28, for the law appoints a high um, as high priest men who were weak, but the promise of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son who has been perfected forever. There's a, there's a lot that this passage uh, in this chapter covers. Um, and so I want to give you just kind of uh, some bullet point kind of things just to bring to your remembrance um, so that um, I just want to make sure you get the, the big idea uh, of Hebrews chapter 7 and, and this idea who Melchizedek is. I, th I think it's better if we look at Melchizedek um, as a prototype of what Jesus is going to be like. We, we don't get to see a whole lot of him, and so we don't really get a lot of information about him. And so the little information we get is he's described as having no father and mother. He's described um, as, um, as a high priest uh, without beginning or without end. Uh, we, he's the king of Salem, and he's the priest of Salem. And then all those things that perfectly align with who Jesus Christ is. He's the Prince of Peace, and he is our righteousness. So he's the King of Righteousness and the King of Peace. Uh, he will establish his rule in Jerusalem, which is Salem during Abraham's times and travels. If Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek because uh, of the blessing that Melchizedek spoke of him and his descendants, then Abraham recognized this inferior order to himself in relation to Melchizedek. So the one who's superior can give a blessing, and the one who's inferior pays a tribute or honor. And so we see kind of the first act of tithing to the priest or king and the recognition because um, he has lived um, basically um, a life which has exalted him above others. Um, and when we look at Christ, the same is true. And so if Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek, then the church today is made up of sinners 
who've been saved by grace. We are the recipients of the blessing. And so our tithe is owed to Christ, our priest and our king. And then there's a discussion about the genealogies. The Levites come from Levi and the priests come from the line of Aaron. But Melchizedek did not come from either one of those two lines. In the same way Jesus doesn't come from those two lines. He comes from the tribe of Judah. And then we just see the supremacy of Christ. I mean, he's in, innocent, spotless, blameless, holy, just, merciful. Um, and the, the high priest before, the, the, the Aaronic from Aaron um, priesthood, the, the Levites who worked uh, the temple, uh, all of them were men who were weak. And so they sinned. And so they had to first go before God and offer sacrifice for their sins. And then they could go in and offer sacrifice on behalf of the people. Melchizedek would not have had to do that because uh, he was a man above reproach. Christ doesn't have to do it because he is the word made flesh. He is the God man. He is perfect. Um, and so he's not weak like the other high priest. So now we have a high priest who is not weak and who does not need to make sacrifices for himself, and he no longer needs to make sacrifices for us, because when he died on the cross, that was the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world, for those who would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so I pray tonight, um, uh, and for those who will watch later on, uh, I pray that, uh, that at least chapter 7 would not be kind of... Uh, difficult to follow or understand um, that you would begin to see how Melchizedek points us to Christ and how Christ is far superior to the Levites and to the priests from the line of, of Aaron. And so uh, if you do that, I think it, you, you're able to walk away with Scripture um, uh, loving God more and loving your neighbor more. And if you've done those two things, um, then God's definitely done work in your heart. So I pray that the Lord would bless you, would be with you, that he would keep you during these days, um, that, that um, we desperately need to be lifting up our local um, government, uh, our mayors, our town councils. We need to be praying and lifting up our, our state officials and uh, legislatures. Uh, we need to be lifting up our federal government. We need to be praying for our president. We need to be praying for both the House and Senate. We need to be praying for federal and Supreme Courts. Um, we desperately need to be praying in this time that God would give them um, knowledge and wisdom um, because we need them all to succeed. If they succeed, then we all succeed. And so, um, so I'm going to pray. And, uh, and then I'm going to say goodnight to you. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we first of all come thankful for Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior, our High Priest and our King, the King of righteousness, the King of peace. And Lord, we just want to take a moment to glorify and magnify His name because His name's greater than any other name and His name is worthy of our praise. Lord, we come tonight praying, lifting up um, those who, um, Lord, locally govern us. We pray for our mayor. Lord, we just pray you give him 
wisdom and that you would uh, protect him and uh, keep him safe and Lord just allow him to to do his part in, in governing our our locality Lord for city and town council we just pray for each member that's involved there Lord for school districts and administrations that you would lead them and guide them in the best way for us to open schools going forward into this fall Lord we pray for our governor uh, and all our state legislatures just uh, Lord uh, I, I pray they would seek you and they would fall on their face before you asking for wisdom and Lord we pray for our president tonight I pray you just continue to uh, to move in such a way that whether it be speaking directly to him through your word or through others, Lord, that you would um, lead him and guide him. And Lord, we pray for our uh, legislative branch, for those whose job it is to, to make laws, to pass budgets. And um, Lord, lead them in, in this time um, that really is unparalleled. Lord, we pray for our court systems. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you continue to move and Allow them to function as they need to function, um, Lord, efficiently and effectively. And we'll give you all the glory and honor for that. Now, Lord, we pray for our, our community, uh, the community of Blacksburg, Lord, uh, Gaffney and, and Shelby, um, that we would just be obedient to you and we would see your hand move across our land. Um, Lord, we would uh, lift your name above all other names. We would not be ashamed of you, but we would stand up for you. Uh, Lord, and we uh, would just love to see you bless this area with people who are lost and headed for eternity without you, that they may come to know you as Lord and Savior. We'll give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise because it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Look forward to Sunday night being with you.